I was actually going to start by asking you about technology. To me, it seems like you've really made it your mission to learn and master a lot of technologies, everything from synthesizers to kind of DMX controllers for lighting, computer software and programming and so on. How important is it for you to master new technologies? Well, I have to say, I, I feel like my mastery is still kind of like a layman's master or whatever, uh, whichever way you want to think about it. I don't, um, I wish I was a little bit more um, inclined towards like kind of understanding things uh, from an engineering standpoint, but that's not really, um, I think it just kind of slows me down from my, my main focus is to just kind of be an end user. But in the process, I, do, I, I try to be as uh, open or I, I guess like the, th- the, m- the most important thing about technology, I think, is just to not fear it and not think of it as something ultimately too complicated, even if it is. Just kind of approach it the way you would if you're um, like walking through a field and picking flowers or something, you know, like just if you see something you like or, or piques your curiosity, just try to use it and spend some time with it. It will yield whatever results are necessary for you in your own kind of idiosyncratic way. And what's the technology story for you at the moment, Daniel? So what what's grabbing your imagination right now? I think it's 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 um, you mentioned DMX, but that was actually like a big uh, revelation for me, just because it was fun to think about ways to kind of uh, follow the music or characterize certain moments in the music with strobes. So strobes became kind of like a real fun thing even though it's funny you see a lot of people kind of uh gravitating towards really um um kind of like the bleeding edge i see like projection mapping uh stuff going on in shows all the time and i find it to be a little tedious just because it feels so contemporary in a way and it's like um i like the i like the kind of like raw pop or punch or electricity of a strobe of a real electric strobe not a you know, uh, something that actually has to kind of explode temporarily. So I, I thought that was interesting. And then, oh, my God, I can ride them in. I can change the intensity. I can do these, change these very simple parameters. But uh, in an effective way, it was just fun for me. And again, it's just a very simple thing, but I had never really done it. So it's the same concept as MIDI, really. So it wasn't too hard to get my head around. And generally, when you're thinking about music technology a lot of the times the question is just like okay something's got to leave from somewhere and go somewhere else Uh, that basic concept is is enough to kind of get your head around any kind of synthesis and I don't think of myself as an expert and you said that I mastered it uh mastered certain things and I really don't think I have I think whatever shortcut I can take to get to the kind of uh, point of uh writing music and really kind of working uh as a musician to me is like that's ultimately my interest. But those other things really help, you know, if a certain sound might inspire you to play a different way, you know, that's nothing new, we all kind of know that, but you do want to set yourself up with interesting textures or uh, interesting kind of, I don't know, like psychological uh, tweaks that make you perform or think or act in a different way or Mm, interesting. You're out here, of course, to collaborate and perform as part of Vivid Festival. And you're out here with your friend Nate Boyce, who you've been collaborating with since 2009, I believe. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. We just have this rapport. I think we just think about um, we think about things in a similar way. And it's so funny because I think Nate, to me, is all, 
his his videos are so musical because he is a musician. In fact, him being a musician makes it sort of easy for me selfishly to talk about certain things. But there's a musicality to the rhythm of his video, and it's already so imbued with that kind of energy, that kind of like punky energy. So we always had this kind of thing where it was like we wanted to make like really romantic uh, hallucinations. At the base of it, a lot of uh, a lot of our inspiration was like from texture or sound or really like the uh, sculpting something uh, beautiful out of like formless stuff, out of noise or whatever. You're bringing it out to Vivid and playing a show with Nate on Saturday. When you're out here, I was interested to find out about the configuration of screens and the projections because I imagine it, it's really thought out especially working with someone whose head is right now firmly rooted in the visual side. So when we toured R plus seven we used a uh, projection services behind us so a lot of the time you'd get this proscenium well we're still in this reality where people are facing the stage and viewing it you know from this proscenium theatrical perspective but the thing that bothered me was that you could really feel the edges of the screen and it felt like you were at the cinema. That was something that bothered me. I didn't like the idea of a big white box behind me. I thought it was just um, felt like it was rest- restricting what could otherwise feel like a kind of infinite situation, you know. So we thought maybe just two giant flat screens, kind of one next to Nate and one next to myself, would be a way to kind of get away a little bit from that that kind of cinematic perspective and that's generally like what we like about those things but they're also just cool objects that are just mounted on these giant stands and they're they look like these big slates and they're when they're vertically oriented uh, they look even stranger the only time you really see vertically oriented screens like that is when they're very small and they're in your hand as a phone kind of like a giant hallucinate like a a fun house hallucination of a phone it's like one way i think about it and sometimes we'll still use the the back projection surface in the back if we want to introduce a little bit more uh information or make it a little crazy but strobes flat screens and fog is pretty much like doing it (laughs) doing it for us at the moment i just think okay what do i want to see if I'm standing out there and I'll run back and forth and check stuff out to some degree but I just want to put on the kind of show that I would be excited to see myself it's a cliche but the only way I know how to measure what's going on and so I don't like a really overly gaudy thing and I think there's like um and you look at EDM stuff and just because you have like a budget to do things doesn't always mean you need to and I don't even have a budget to do things that (laughs) so I can't I'm already like restricted so I'm like oh I wonder if I I would if I would make a gaudier show if I could but I don't think so I really I just like things I think there's something to be said about this kind of I like I like the um the imagery to be um make you feel uncomfortable not make you feel like you're in a you know like an airport lounge or mm-hmm. uh or at like a edm concert or at any number of things that anyone can go see anywhere else i really just want it to be something more a little bit more personal and a little bit more um in a way uh s- simple you know what's your musical setup for performance this time along with nate so Nate's playing a guitar and, and doing live video. I'm singing and I'm playing keyboards 
and I'm kind of more or less kind of uh, managing all of the sounds and pushing them through the uh, th- through the room and trying to see where I can catch a wave and where things can become feral and crazy and when th- when I should pull back and and let things go and sometimes um, we'll find ourselves kind of like deserted on these islands of just like a little bit of guitar and a little bit of keyboard and we'll protract it or stretch things out so it's really quite um, fun for me because in the past. OPN was more or less kind of like a on rails live and it was I was kind of I was kind of subject to the uh, live set that I had created and and then I, I had like a little pockets where I could change things but it was really like quite um, calculated and this time it's a nice blend because I do want it to be calculated I do have things I need to do and impact people a certain way but then it's nice also to just feel like I'm in the garage or whatever, you know, and you just kind of having fun and improvising. There's a quote from you, particularly about Garden of Delete, and where basically you say that you wanted to do something meaningful, but you also wanted to shred. Oh, yeah. I was wondering <laughs> if that's an ongoing challenge for you, being such a kind of successful and serious, in a way, electronic musician these days. Yeah, I find like I'm starting to resent the idea of like seriousness of any kind and when it comes to art. Like, I just find it to be absurd that someone would um, want to be considered serious or something maybe you end up that way just because but i think for i think for some people when they think about electronic music or instrumental music if that's a thing i don't even know really what that means but uh, music that's kind of like somehow not popular music they think of it as serious i think that's a huge problem because we're just really really we're not letting the we're not letting radical music then inspire interesting new forms of, of pop music and vice versa. You're basically just kind of saying, okay, serious music has, has to be here and fun music has to be there. It's always been so boring to me. And I also just never felt um, like I totally belonged. I don't know. It's like I always like if I see like an athletes always look a certain way and you can always tell they're an athlete when you see you're like wow you must be on the rowing team or you must be a football player or something I always kind of was like I'm not I I don't feel like a serious composer you're not on the composing rowing team no and I no I'm not on the composing rowing team so yeah I need to make meaningful stuff but I don't know who it's meaningful to except for myself so I do it and in, I need to shred because I'm a musician and the best music for me has always been like slightly feral and slightly off. I always think it's just kind of like, why would you be any other way, really? In almost every aspect of life, it's like, if I'm conserving something, it's for some explosion that's going to happen, you know? I just can't live in a constantly conserved um, state of mind. And that's, that's how I feel about some of that serious music. Yeah, I feel like it's a pretty simplistic title as well, just to say something is serious. And it means that you also approach things in a very different way when you're listening to them or whatever else you might do with them. Um, so I wanted to ask you a little bit about Garden of Delete as well, released late last year and your seventh record. Quite a shift sonically from your other releases. I'm kind of interested to find out that, you know, a lot of the theme behind Garden of Delete was to do with being the most primordial parts of being human, blowing into 
uh, tissue and looking at your snot, that sort of thing. Yeah. Are you done with those ideas in your music or do you want to explore kind of human goo a little bit further? Yeah, I think I've, it's almost like I always have and but I never, I never just said, okay, let's just focus on it for a while. So I probably will continue to. I mean, I was like flipping through my Instagram and I was like, oh my God, everything I follow is like special effects makeup, really rowdy kind of like horror stuff or like sculpture, inanimate things or things that are fuzzy or liquid or gross or whatever. So I think I just generally have to look at that stuff and think about it all the time. I find it interesting. So I doubt that it's, it's the end of that. <laughs> Although I, I do think that I um, I said what I wanted to, I said what I needed to say about it. So, of course, you created Garden of Delete off the back of a tour with Nine Inch Nails and Soundgarden. How much did that inspire the record? Yeah, it was very oddly timed and almost serendipitous. I feel like there is something to be said for like the collective unconscious because prior to being invited to that tour, I remember I was... I do these things called echo jams. And so I do them all the time, which is just, I just loop stuff up and put echo on it and slow it down, whatever. So I was making like a bunch of new metal echo jams. I was obsessed with Fear Factory. And then I'm told that, okay, like Nine Inch Nails has asked you to open up. And I'm like, why now? Like I'm listening to Fear Factory like incessantly and then Nine Inch Nails asked me to. So I was like, okay, maybe this is just my destiny. I have to like just deal with industrial music for a little bit. And so that was easy for me because, you know, my sister had, I remember when my sister got Pretty Hate Machine on CD, that's like all we listened to. I was a li- I was small and she was a teenager. You know, I just started kind of systematically thinking about what it is I like about that era for music and especially uh, Trent because I think uh, love him or hate him he's um, he's kind of like always making this fascinating contrast between really catchy almost like kind of Beatles music and like really feral crazy computer music or whatever it is that he's pulling from at any moment I just like that and I just I also like the kind of the idea that I could tap into a very performed version of angst, you know, one that I could really like explore the satire of angst was like highly enjoyable <laughs> being as the, that I don't really fully remember what, uh, how I performed angst as a adolescent, but I know that I did. And so I just started thinking a lot about why someone might behave like that and what, how the music might, inspire someone to behave in certain ways and see the world in a very specific kind of cynical way. And the idea of cynicism is not like a truth, but as almost kind of like a, just a mode, you know, whereas that music always makes you think it's the truth. And then you kind of grow up and in retrospect, you're like, oh, that was just a mode. That just became an interesting texture for me to, to kind of compose from. And I like exploring uh, kind of music historical stuff is always a a jumping off point for me. I just love kind of trying to understand these modes that flow in and out of time that become kind of hardened and then kind of dissolve and change into something else. I feel like that's the way history operates to me is like a kind of a sculpture of what my music can sound like. So when I make music, I try to actually mimic 
in some way the way I, I perceive these histories to to behave if that makes any sense I don't know but that, so it was just a, another chapter in kind of thinking about music music history that way I think it's pretty interesting for me to hear from you that it comes from a historical and perhaps slightly a documentation kind of point of view for you because yeah. in some contexts it's pretty easy to dismiss genres and subgenres and look at things historically when it's perhaps too soon and say oh that's awful I'm not going to go near that I kind of have a lot of respect for the f- the way that you really boldly explored those ideas um, in a way that's actually really interesting and works really well on the record thank you yeah I, I don't think um, I've I've gotten into these kind of like cocktail hour conversations with people who are like oh yeah so you're um you're taking music that's considered to be like in uh, bad music and then I don't consider it to be bad music that's the difference there's all kinds of things that make music bad or good and ultimately if you're just kind of going with the status quo assessment of a piece of music or a trend or history you're you're really not listening you know and so it's strange but i i actually like pauline olivero's deep listening that to me i used to listen to to music that was very shallow but when you start deep listening to shallow music it it immediately becomes deep again it's not that music is good or bad it's just kind of ultimately how you want to um listen to it i think one more question for you What's next for you? Uh, are we getting a pop album at some point, or are you taking things in an entirely new direction? I I um I don't know. I actually am I'm fully confused right now. I I don't know what to do. <laughs> um, I usually I usually start piecing it together from some kind of obsession. You know, something happens and I become like overly obsessed. And um, being is that I'm going to be away from home for a long time and touring for basically uh, the next few months. I think inevitably some kind of ridiculous obsession will happen and that it'll kind of naturally lend itself to some kind of idea about an album. But I do want to, yeah, I do want to make a, another album. Yeah. Great. That's it. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs>